When I became a parent, I suddenly became a lot more aware of our world, our environment and what I was doing to ensure the air my children were breathing was safe. There is increasing evidence that the cleaning products that we have used in our homes for generations contain toxins that are polluting the air, which is why I'm delighted that this episode of The Parenthood is brought to you by Tincture, natural cleaning products free of these potentially harmful toxins. I've got to say, I've used the products myself and I'm a convert. Not only do they smell amazing, but they clean as well as anything I've used before. Made with 100% natural essential oils, botanicals and silver, they use nature's ingredients to ensure our homes are not only clean, but safe. Tincture want us to treat their beautiful hexagonal antimicrobial bottles as implements, refilling them from glass bottles that are easily recyclable. Clean, safe homes, less plastic, less waste. It's a win-win. So thank you, Tincture. To find out more, have a look at tinctorelondon.com and use the code PH20 for 20% off your purchases. Hello and welcome to The Parenthood. Today's topic is one that has certainly had my friends debating for a while now. Parents all over the world are under increasing pressure from our children to allow them to play computer games. But how sensible is this? Last year, the World Health Organization for the first time listed gaming addiction as a mental health consideration and the Nightingale Hospital in London reported treating more than 50 new cases of this a year. Parents today are racked with worry that we are somehow not doing the best for our children, that we are not quite good enough parents and might not be making the right decisions for them. And so before we buy these consoles, before we introduce our beloved children to a world of gaming that could potentially land them in hospital, it's probably worth understanding exactly what these risks are, whether they are something to be carefully considered or whether this is just a huge overreaction. With me today, I have someone who is no stranger to tech. Tanya Goodin has dedicated her whole career to examining the interaction between people and tech, first as an award-winning digital entrepreneur, and now as a digital consultant, tech ethicist, and author. Tanya, thank you so much for coming to talk to us today. I'm sure this isn't the first time you've been asked this question about Indeed computer Indeed, isn't. Yeah. <laughs> it's something that p- parents are increasingly worried about. I yes, mean, you just have to yeah. pick up any paper and you hear horror stories of my child is, is different since he started playing Fortnite. Um, we're not the only ones having this conversation, are we? No, I mean, I, I did a talk at a school only last night um, and it was it was about the whole kind of environment of the digital world but nearly all the questions were about gaming um about you know whether it's safe to let children game at all you know what age we should be doing it um what sort of things should concern us um so yeah i think it's i think it's one of those kind of nerves that's being pushed a lot at the moment and there's certainly a lot about it in the media i mean i I honestly don't think anyone was talking or certainly i didn't read the mainstream media this in the mainstream media two years ago and now every week there's a new study there's a new warning there's a new something about you know whether or not this is a sensible thing for us to be doing as parents well i think a lot of the debate started or, or certainly was exacerbated by the, the World Health Organization, as you said, recognizing it formally, um, internet gaming disorder as a disorder. But as you say, there have been people treating it in clinics for years. I would say, the thing I say to all parents is, it's only a tiny, tiny um, percentage of children who are really ever going to be hardcore addicts that we need to be worried about. 
Um, and I think a lot of the headlines in the press are, are very alarmist. Um, and you are inclined to think, you know, if you've got a child that's sitting on Fortnite for an hour, they're going to be an addict and they're going to be carted off to a, a tech clinic. Uh, and I would say to parents, that is not likely to be the case. Um, so I think, you know, I think, you know, probably if you've got something serious to worry about. And one of the hallmarks of addiction and the thing I talk to all parents about is, is that child not doing things in their life that they should be doing? So are they not sleeping? Are they not eating? Are they not doing their homework? Are they not spending time with you and with their family, you know, their friends? If they're genuinely neglecting things that normally make them feel healthy and happy because of screen time, that is a bit of a red flag. And there's addiction and there's addiction. You can get a little bit addicted. I mean, there's, there's, you know, just not wanting to play football anymore to because not, you're really into your game yeah yes. to literally not being able to sleep and not being able to function as a human being but to be honest either of those are pretty unpleasant I certainly wouldn't want my child to not you know be healthy and be outside and pursue his interests that might have previously been really important to him yeah I mean I think it's all about balance isn't it for everything for everything in parenting um, and I think one of the, the problems with computer games and with anything digital is there's, there's that kind of worry all the time that in some ways, if we create any kind of boundary around a computer game, it's because we're out of touch with tech or because we don't really understand that this is how kids play nowadays. Um, and I think that makes it a more fraught um, conversation with parents. So all the stuff that, you know, you know if, if a child said to us, all my friends are allowed to go out and drink on a Friday night, you know, and they're 15 maybe or 14 or 15, I'm the only one who's not allowed to do that we would be saying, well, you know, frankly, we don't care. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're not doing it. Yeah. We don't know what's going on with the rest of your year group, but you are not going out drinking at 14. Um, something about computer games makes us a bit reluctant sometimes to say that because we think, oh, well, is this just, you know, the 21st century? Um, and, are, you know, am I so out of touch that this is completely normal for kids to do? So I think we need to have a bit more confidence in our parenting skills and kind of take the tech... And the fact that it's a video game out of the equation sometimes and just say, am I happy that my child is sitting on their own in their room for four hours at a time doing anything? You know, does that worry me? My mother thought I spent too much time in my room reading. I remember that as a child. You know, too much time reading and not enough time sort of talking to people and socialising. And um, so I think, you know, we've got to not worry. You know, I've just said right up front, we shouldn't worry about our children being addicted. But also, you know, the flip side of that is we shouldn't worry about questioning it as well. Yeah. You know, all the, all those instincts as a parent that tell you, actually, I'm a bit concerned about this. Sometimes we feel we can't say that because it's tech, yeah. because it's a computer game. And that worries me a bit. Because I think, you know, the other thing is that I remember playing Tetris and it was really fun. And I definitely loved playing it for a couple of weeks and I got quite hooked, but it was a couple of weeks. Computer games that, you know, we played in the 80s and the 90s are very different. They're not the same. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, these are billion dollar industries. You know, they have the best uh, software designers. They have the best graphic designers. They have neuroscientists. They have behavioral experts working out how to keep us hooked. And I use that word in inverted commas um, on those games. So, you know, they are designed to be addictive, really. Um, And I suppose the concern about very young children getting into that is that, you know, they don't have the brain process. They don't have the judgment, the self-control, the impulse control fully developed when they're really young. And the potential for them getting 
much more hooked to a game, say, at 13 or 14 than they might do at 18, 17 or 18, I think is something that we should be a bit concerned about. Actually, the group of parents I was speaking to last night, they were saying they've noticed a bit of a kind of a peak that as their child gets older, they're less into video games. There definitely seems to be a younger age group that get really quite, you know, kind of hooked and can't put them down. Um, and almost quite a lot of them grow out of them when they get to a certain... I'm not saying that's the case with everyone. But that's um, the case with children. I remember crazes yeah. at school and everyone's into, you know, te- I remember with me, it was like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yes. And were yeah. Obsessed. You do anything for those cards. Yeah. You know, that is a characteristic of, of being a child. But presumably it's, it's a, you know, children's brains, like you said, are less able to resist what yeah. adult brains are more able to do. And presumably that's why gambling is restricted in yeah, children. Totally. Why smoking is restricted in children because it's easier to make the right decisions and have a healthy relationship with these things when you're more mature but when you're immature it's more difficult to get sucked in and properly addicted yeah so the, the gaming industry obviously have thought about that and they've thought about how do we get um how do we get a game game classified in the younger age group so that we can get the younger children playing it? Something like Fortnite is a great example um, that, you know, obviously they've tried to design a a game that, you know, they they you know they say there's not real violence in it you know it's not a real shoot me up game um but it appeals to kids because you know you do have guns in that game you are shooting people but you know they and make, kill people don't you you? Kill, you kill people yes um so have they got around that uh I, I think there's no you know it's definitely not as violent as some of the other games it's not as graphic they would say um but essentially what you're doing is going out with a gun and trying to kill you know, other members of the game. So, um, but, you know, the, the laws around the classification, the age classification has meant they've been able to come in, you know, under the 18 limit um, because they haven't shown graphic violence, you know, it is quite cartoony. Um, I think they've also tried with Fortnite to appeal more to girls. Um, so, you know, there are slightly more sympathetic female characters. You know, traditionally gaming has been a very boys environment. So you can see them, you know, pushing all the buttons to try and get a game that's going to be widely adopted by lots of children at a young age. And then, you know, obviously what the gaming industry want to do is move those children up to older certificate games and, you know, some of the more, you know, aggressive and more violent games. Um, And the other thing to worry about is the amount of money that they potentially can spend in these games. So last night at this same parent talk... Uh, a mother came up to me and told me her child had managed to put £7,000 on her credit card um, oh playing Fortnite, um, which was really shocking, <laughs> as I'm sure you think and everyone listening thinks, because her credit card was linked to his account and he was just buying, you know, the, the virtual uh, arms uh, that you can get within the game. And he managed to spend £7,000 on it. My goodness. And there's an element of gambling, isn't there, in these games that you have to spend a certain amount on a a loot box. You don't know what's inside it, but it's basically like a scratch card. It's gambling, yeah. It's variable rewards. Because a child can't go into the the newsagent and buy a scratch card, card, can they? So what's the difference? And when when are the powers that could be going to catch up with this? Surely there's no difference. Well, as I said, it's a huge industry with a lot of money behind them. um, And they spend a lot of money trying to reassure us that, you know, this is completely different and this is a game and that children understand it's not the real world. And they understand that, you know, it's not real money that they're playing with. Um, 
And I would question whether that's the case. You know, even if you sit a child down and say, you know, this is a virtual world, you know, that's not a real gun you've just paid £30 for. And, you know, you know, you're not actually going to find gold in this treasure box. Um, there's a part of them that suspends that when they go online. You know, that's very compelling for them, that other kind of you know, digital world. So Well, yeah. the gold that they might buy might not have no monetary value, but it, if it has emotional value, yeah, then they'll want it more than real gold. Yes. You know, a, a, a virtual gun is probably more valuable to them than the real gun because they actually want to kill anyone. They want to kill someone in the game and that's what they need the virtual gun for. Yeah. I mean, we know that impulse control and judgment is not fully developed until we're about 24. So we know that those, you know, if you're if you're playing that kind of game, at that age, you probably don't have the same ability to make judgments about, you know, how real it is um, and whether you should spend £7,000 on a credit card, for example, uh, in order to equip yourself with all the kit that you need in order to get to the next stage of your game. Back to the sort of age certification. I mean, I, as far as I know, Fortnite has a 12 age. Yeah. I know a lot of children who are not 12, not who yet 12, playing who are playing it. it. And yeah. there seems to be amongst educated informed parents who really care a sort of laissez-faire attitude of okay he's nine it's fine I mean presumably there's no point in having a certification unless it can somehow be policed and it doesn't seem to be police how do they police it can anyone is it was it just an advisory well I think the problem with um I mean, age certification is notoriously difficult online. I don't know if you've heard all the debates recently about Instagram and all the, you know, self-harming images. Um, and, you know, everyone from the government downwards say it's really easy. Well, it's not easy. It's easier to certify that 18 limit. It's really hard below 18 to be able to tell the difference between an 11 and a 13-year-old online. You know, these children don't have ID. Um, a lot of it comes down to what the parents are allowing, though, because these children are largely... Um, playing with parents' permission. And I would say that, you know, making sure your child complies with the age verifications is incredibly important. And not just for the fact that you're allowing them to play a game that the manufacturer has said, we think it's not really suitable for, you know, unless you're 12, but for the message you give to the child that it's okay to lie about their age or it's okay to, to you know, fudge the limits. So how do you have a conversation with a child about drinking when you've said at nine, oh, it's okay to play a game and pretend to be 12. Um, how, how are you ever as a parent going to be able to draw those lines, those, you know, potentially much more important lines um, because you've said to them when they're really quite young, it's not important, you know, that you're, you know, we, we ignore this age limit on the box. Mm. Um, I actually had a mother say to me recently, did I think it was okay to let young teenage boys play 18 plus video games? Um, and I was shocked even to be asked that question. I couldn't imagine any scenario in which anyone asking that question would say yes. But she, you know, she was asking me because she was letting her young teenage boys play 18 plus games. Um, and she felt she was under a lot of pressure from their peers and from them to let them do that. And I just had to walk through all the analogies, all the other stuff they're not allowed to do till they're 18 and say, would it be OK if you let them do that? I mean, it strikes me that this is a sort of very new form of sort of entertainment. And as parents who really do want to do the best and genuinely, I think the you know, people that I've encountered whose children do things that I would ne not necessarily support, 
it doesn't come out of a sort of laziness no. in terms of parenting. It probably comes out of misinformation. And, you know, I, I've, I've been in an experience where, you know, my children come home and go, oh, the, everyone else is allowed to do this. And then you actually talk to the parents and that's not true at all. Our yeah. children are quite conniving and I think there's also quite a lot of chat in the playground of oh so I'm allowed to do this which again might not be true it might be misrepresentative of of what's actually going on at home so it seems to me like the parents almost need to talk to each other and find out what is acceptable but also have almost a sort of code of what is acceptable and isn't acceptable because I also don't want to be the only mother who says absolutely you're not playing this 18 game if all you know my children's friends are playing the game I mean I I think I need to really think about it but I also don't want my child to be the one that's left out with a sort of square square mother at home being a bit you know control freaky so so far I have to tell you in seven years of doing talks in schools and parents I've never found a year group where there is that one child that's the only one so that's the first thing I would say um and we did that with our parents didn't we I certainly did it with my father I'm the only one not allowed to go out drinking till 11 o'clock you know on a Friday night in the holidays um So I do think we have to take that with a bit of pinch of salt. But I would recommend every year group, you know, has has a WhatsApp group or has a way of all the parents communicating. So you can check that stuff with each other. Because even if you're not over the 50% of the year group, it's a it's a sizable minority of parents in any year who's think who are thinking actually I'm not sure about this. It might be the introduction of a smartphone, you know, below eleven or social media. It might be playing an eighteen plus game. Mm. So you know, you just have to be able to speak to enough other parents and and sense check that. And then it's a lot easier to have the conversation with your child and say, do you know what I've spoken to? Harry's mum you know Laura's mum and actually they're not allowed to do this either Mm. they may not be shouting about it in the playground because the kids who aren't allowed to do it aren't the ones making a lot of noise Um, but actually I do know that you're not the only one yeah I mean we I do feel that as parents we're under a lot of pressure to get sort of tech for our kids you know that starts with sort of little tablets and downloading you know fun games onto your iPhone when they're little to then you know eventually I want my own phone everyone's got their own phone I'm the only one and then the whole computer games I have read stories that in Silicon Valley um, the exposure of children to tech it's much less they're much more cautious about that is that true or is that just yeah uh, so there's, there's a famous interview um, the New York Times interviewed Steve Jobs back when the iPad came out and the journalist went to see him and said oh Steve you know I bet your kids are loving the iPad I bet they're using it at home all the time and he said oh no 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 we don't let our children use tech at home Um, and the journalist thought well you know I wonder if he's the only tech CEO so he went out and interviewed a lot of other um, people leading those kind of software and hardware companies and found that they were amongst the most strict parents um and i think i think the article was called steve jobs was is a low-tech parent um but yes that article's been updated recently and certainly people who work in tech i would include myself in this i would say we know the billions of dollars that go into pushing those products to parents and pushing those products to kids um and therefore probably we are amongst the most cautious and amongst the most conservative when it comes to actually letting our own children use it. I mean, we talk about screens being bad for our health. I think it sometimes is quite an abstract idea because it um, it's a slow 
uh, your life slowly becomes taken over by tech. It's not like a big avalanche and suddenly you notice the changes. But when we talk about the impact on health on children that are spending a lot of time in front of screens, what, what, what are we talking about? So I, um, I definitely would have a kind of caveat about us saying screens are bad for us because I think there's no evidence that intrinsically they are bad for us. I think the issue is around balance and how much we're using them. So that's the first thing I'd say. You know, there's, there's no evidence that if you give a child an iPad, you're giving them an evil, you know, piece of tech. Um, only last night, in fact, I was listening to um, Radio 4 and they had a piece about speech and language development in primary school children, which was absolutely fascinating. Um, saying that increasingly primary school teachers are finding that children are arriving at schools with um, inhibited language skills um, and they are definitely putting that very firmly at the door of the fact that those children aren't being spoken to um, and that's that's down to screens you know they're being given screens as kind of digital dummies when they're very young you've seen I'm sure you know as everyone has a child in a you know pushchair looking at an iPad or a parent doing something while the child is you know playing on the phone all those things I think are okay as long as they're not done to excess mm. um, and the danger is you know in everyone's we're all busy we're all working really hard most of us have got several jobs and we've got children it's a real temptation sometimes to just give a child a device and think you know that that's okay you know I'm just giving it to them for 20 minutes and then it becomes two hours and three hours and so I think speech and language is something um, we should be concerned about and I think the other big thing is sleep so the NHS say this current generation of children are the most sleep deprived they've ever treated um, and they very firmly put that at the door of screens. <laughs> um, there was a great piece I read, I think it was on BBC News, where there was a child that was constantly coming back to the GP and, you know, the parents saying, we cannot get this child to sleep and, you know, we've tried everything. And finally they investigated and found that not only does this child have a television in their room, they had an iPad, you know, they had various other devices um, and the parents were using them to wind down of an evening and thinking, you know, giving a device would actually help them relax and it was stimulating them um so i think sleep is a real concern as well because i will often fall asleep in front of the tv um but i think you know like you said there's sort of different things that you're watching and playing a computer game which is very immersive and it makes you feel that you're in this world is very different to watching call the midwife yeah i mean i think they're stimulating computer screens are stimulating and they're designed to stimulate and, and the games themselves are stimulating totally yeah no i remember i couldn't watch uh, killing eve before going to bed because yes. by, I, i'd lie in bed my adrenaline levels are racing because it was just so I was on tenterhooks yeah um, there's certain things I can watch that won't stimulate me as much as other things and I have to be I mean it's it's for me like drinking a cup of coffee before you go to bed I would just would not be able to go to sleep yeah so you know potentially listening to the sort of CBB's bedtime story is a very different scenario to from to watching playing. another round playing another round of Fortnite. Yeah. yes yeah, yeah. um I mean, there are, of course, games and games, you know, a child playing Tozzle where they're sort of learning how to their sort of spatial awareness is very different to playing a, another game, which is, you know, actively designed for them to make them want to come back more and more and more. And I think that is quite important because often I hear that message, you know, don't give your children screens. Well, you know what? Every parent has to give their children yeah. screens at yeah. some point, because sometimes you do. You're in the doctor's waiting room. Yes. You need to get them to shut up just for or you're on a plane. 
mean, you can't play noughts and crosses with them for four hours. It just <laughs> isn't going to work. And they'll sit and listen to you reading, but occasionally you just want to have a bit of time out. There's that, but there's that very big difference between the child that is, you know, watching an hour of TV a day or playing an hour of something to a child that is playing eight hours. I was yeah. talking to someone once who was a real advocate of, of computer games. And she said, well, my, only, my kids only play eight hours a week. And I was like, eight hours a week? Like, where did we get to in life that you th- think that is an acceptable amount of time? I mean, that's like a working day that your children are, are playing a computer game. And I would want to know what are they not doing now that they did before in those eight hours? So if they genuinely did nothing of any kind of value you know nothing that added any enjoyment or pleasure to their life then maybe you know maybe though that eight hours might be okay um but my hypothesis would be (laughs) that i'd be you know i'd be very surprised i think there are probably things they're not doing as a result of spending eight hours on screens yeah and that's per week think about the amount of weeks then that accumulates to i mean listen i'm not a i'm not a gamer i've never felt that you know bitten by that bug i've never really wanted to do it so it's very easy for me to sort of sit on my high horse going well i'm i'm i can resist it but there are a lot of people that are passionate about it and a lot of people who feel that you know gaming is actually positive and and that it gives you skills that are the you know, ways of entertaining yourself don't give you? I mean, are there any benefits in your mind to to gaming? Well, I'm a little bit cynical about this because there was a piece of research, I think it was three or four years ago, that came out that was all over the paper about how gaming, particularly multiplayer games... Um, taught you teamwork and you know you know working in a like-minded group of people and communication skills and all that kind of stuff Um, and I kept having this particular piece of research quoted at me so I investigated it and found it was funded by the gaming industry (laughs) Um, so I'm not saying there aren't benefits from playing any type of game whether it's a computer game or whether it's a you know board game or a paper and pen game um I just I just worry about the amount of time and I worry about the fact that the difference between a board game and a you know and paper and pen is because those games are designed to hook you to the screen for longer you know mm. specifically that's part of their USP um, we need you to keep playing. We need you to keep spending money, particularly for all the you know adults that come with the the add-ons that come with the games. I mean, I've had people say to me. Is playing a computer game any different, really, to immersing yourself in a good book? I mean, we all know how page-turning a a, a good book can be. I mean, what's your response to that? Well, I I do see a difference, because I think when you read a book, um, your imagination is working, isn't it? You know, you're painting pictures, you're imagining characters. It's kind of... I had a conversation with my children recently about the difference between reading a book and watching a film for that reason, that actually our brains have to work quite hard when we're reading to kind of visualise what's going on um and i think in with computer games we're spoon-fed you know the world's created for us um you know obviously there are some games where you construct that fantasy world yourself um but i do think we've got plenty of evidence that children who read extensively and from a young age have a real advantage in life i haven't yet seen evidence that children who play computer games unless they're going to be professional gamers uh and i know this is you know an area that kids can tell us quite a lot about um you know how much money you can make if you make if you play computer games professionally you know it's a big deal nowadays but i'm guessing most of our children are not going to do that um so yeah i would question are, are they really getting the same amount of benefit and the other thing i just wanted to kind of segue into is i do draw a line between 
the games that are violent and sh- shoot shoot up games and the other types of games. I do, you know, my biggest concerns probably are about the ones that are simulating violence. Um, and actually the point of the game is to kill somebody else. Um, and I do think that's a different experience as a player from watching a film um, where that happens, when you are actually the person choosing your weapon, choosing your opponent and then trying to kill them. Well, essentially watching a film is not immersive, it's passive. Yeah. You're sitting watching what's happened. You have no, you know, you have no influence over what You're happens. not controlling it, Yeah. And also, I mean, I I think it's a bit of a shame that increasingly you're seeing families, you know, watching films separately. Everyone takes Mm. their tablets to their bedrooms and they watch, you know, they do that. I mean, I quite like on a Saturday evening watching something as a family that you all then talk about. It's a shared experience. And yes, it's still watching a screen and it's still immersing yourself in digital media for for an hour or two but you're doing it together you're doing it together. you can talk yes. about it very often you know i'll sit and watch a film with with my husband and we'll chat about it and i'll think about it and it's thought-provoking in the way that you know even watching a film on your own isn't um so the two very very different experiences so that's actually a good point i i one of the things i would suggest for parents who've got children that are really heavily into games is, is to think about playing them with them um, and ask them to show them, you know, show me what it is about this game you really love. Show me how to play it. Show me how to, you know, kind of come into your world a bit. Um, and that could be, you know, there could be lots of benefits from that. Firstly, you really understand what it is that they're playing. And that might either, you know, strengthen your concerns or completely allay them because you think, actually, you know, I really can't see the problem. Um, and you're doing it together as well. You know, you're actually joining them in their world. So... I definitely think that's something to worth worth thinking about because, you know, part of my concerns about gaming is that whole, you know, isolated in your room on your own late at night. Um, And I agree with you. We don't have enough opportunities anymore, do we, to really spend time together as families? I mean, there's two different scenarios here. There's the children that already have got hooked on this and then there's the children who haven't yet but are you know putting their parents Tempted. under a lot yes. of pressure yeah. if you're in that second category and you're you know you've maybe got an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old and suddenly everyone's getting the ps3 or whatever it is for christmas what would you do with the knowledge that you've got what what would you do would you just say yes how would you navigate that so that you know you you appease your children in a way you know you, you don't want to be the constant no sayer but at the same time don't end up with you know not even necessarily an addictive child that has to be hospitalized but you hear so many stories of you know i had a lovely engaged child who was just a joy to be around and since getting on the computer game he's just become horrid and antisocial and bullshy and grumpy and none of us want to be the parents to that child because quite frankly being a mother to a baby is hard enough you know they don't give you any thanks you think brilliant they're seven or eight now they can engage and these are meant to be the sort of golden years of our parents lives how would how do you navigate that as a parent I would want to talk to everyone else in the year group and find out how many people are actually genuinely doing that handing over those games consoles and I think the most important thing is you don't hand over any device without an agreement Um, preferably written between you and the child about how it's going to be used so you know where it's going to be kept who owns it how it's going to be used what what the um sanctions are if when you say okay you've reached the end of your 30 minutes there's any kind of tantrum or problem you know does that then mean you have less next day you need to be really really clear about the rules 
Um, and the other thing I would look at is, you know, your, your console is only your gateway to all the content that you play on it. So I would look really carefully at what games you're then giving access to. Because actually, it's not really the, the console that's the problem. It's what they're going to play. So I probably would go down the route of saying, okay, well, I've looked at all of it. We've come up with an agreement. This is how it's going to be used. But actually, these are the only two games at the moment that I feel comfortable with you playing. And, you know, maybe we'll look at that again in six months' time. Yeah. Yeah, and that's interesting. The written agreement is is something that just gives it a bit more, a bit more weight. Yeah. yeah, and I think we should be doing that for everything: smartphones, iPads, everything. Mm. You know, we the arguments happen when the rules aren't clear. I think so. If we know what the rules are up front, that makes it a lot easier. And what about if you've got a child that has got to that stage that is grumpy? You're noticing, you know, behavioural changes. You don't want it to get to the sort of worst case scenario. How do you how do you rein that in? How do you draw them back without totally alienating i you know i think again it's a conversation where you know any kind of behavior that worries you you're going to want to have a conversation with that child about it and you're going to want to say look you know how do we get back to the stage where we were before where you were spending a bit more time with us and we weren't having all these you know issues um and you're probably going to have to rein back their usage um and that isn't going to be pleasant um and it's going to be quite tricky but you would do it if you know, they were drinking too much or they were smoking too much or they were, you know, eating sweets at every available opportunity. And I think we shouldn't be worried about reining back just because it's a computer game, just because it's a device. We should use all the same instincts we have about everything else our children are doing. And if we think this is not making this child happy or healthy, we need to make a change. I mean, one of the things I've learned doing this podcast is that being honest with your children and being truthful to them is, is one of the most powerful weapons in your armory as a parent. You know, it's very easy to say, I'm not allowing you to do this. But if you sit down with them and say, these are the reasons that yeah. I don't want you to do it. Even right at the beginning, when that conversation of, you know, I really want a games console comes into the um, comes into your house, you say, well, listen, let's look at the pros and the cons and let's look at, you know, what fun computer games can be, but also potentially how damaging they can be and how they can prevent you from doing the things that you're currently really enjoying, like football mm. and rugby and tree climbing and all those things that are really, really important to you. And, and it's not just me making these things up. There is really good evidence. You know, talk to them about you know the fact that you know these computer games are specifically made to be very addictive yeah that they are taking advantage of a vulnerable group of of children that you know the 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 people that really know what these computer games are capable of those who live in silicon valley are much more cautious about letting their children um play on them it's about persuading them rather than just them thinking that you're the witch mother who is captain no fun um and that's going to be a much more productive conversation than just no yeah totally I think anything where it's a dialogue and when you explain look you know the rules anything we come up with is not set in stone we're going to work together over the next you know so many months so we're going to see how it goes so the child understands it's not you know this door is not shut or open it's a dialogue between you you know, that has to be the basis for everything that we do as parents. And ultimately, it? the reason you're putting down these rules is for their good, yeah. not your good. It's not that you want to just have a quiet time and you don't want to fork out the money for it. You know, <laughs> it's it's something that they will be really grateful for. It's a bit like braces. Yes. They don't want to do it at they the time. They might not thank you at the time. <laughs> I hated braces when I had them, but my God, I'm grateful that I did. Yes. Um, 
It strikes me that this is a bit of a world west. We're in this sort of limbo at the moment where the tech has really advanced, but potentially the sort of uh, the law and the thought process and the sort of protective nature of our laws hasn't quite caught up with it. And I was looking through a very old magazine, um, which which my husband brought home recently with a picture of his mother on the front in like the, the sort of 70s, I think it was. And I was leafing through. And, you know, one of the things that shocked me the most was seeing the cigarette adverts, this yeah. Latent cigarette adverts that I obviously haven't seen for so long. And I wondered whether in 20 years time, we're going to be looking back on the time where Fortnite is, you know, got a 12 certificate, but actually is played by eight year olds. And that seems to be acceptable where there's absolutely no, um, uh, there aren't very many parameters about restricting its use among children that are very um, easily who really easily catch on to these things um whether we'll be looking back and think oh my god do you remember a bit like smoking on planes do you remember mm. you could smoke on planes i do remember that and the thought of it now is crazy <laughs> and the curtain that was the only thing that separated yes. <laughs> you from people who smoked yes. exactly yeah. and the kids that be chucked in the back because their parents didn't book the seats yeah. early enough in the non-smoking but are we going to looking be looking back on this time and think oh my god can you that was crazy that we, there was ever a time yeah, I mean, I, I, I genuinely think we will. I think the problem is the digital world was not designed with children in mind. And I think, um, you know, we, we talked about those parents in Silicon Valley. You know, they weren't parents when they started building all these software platforms. When they became parents, they then looked around and thought, actually, is this the world? Is this world fit for children? Um, and I think we will look back and, and see, sadly, quite a lot of our generations of, of children as being guinea pigs. Um, so I think with that in mind, as parents, we have to just, you know, navigate really carefully because I think the rules will change and I feel, think they will be tightened up. I think age verification is going to get a lot stricter online and in the gaming world um, because, as I said, you know, we've never had that problem before of having to of having to look at the younger age verification. You know, suddenly when every child has a device in their hand and when that child can play a computer game, which only 10 years ago you could only access if you had a PC and you spent a lot of money. You know, games used to cost a lot of money, so there was a barrier to entry. Now if you've got a smartphone, you can download Fortnite free. So all the kind of, you know, um, parameters around what this game's for and who's it supposed to be marketed at, you know, that's that's all been busted apart. Um, and I think we are all struggling with quite big questions about how we make it safe. Um, so, yeah, I think we're going to look back and think... I think, you know, why did we give smartphones to six-year-olds, <laughs> which is happening more and more? I mean, I think we're used to the nanny state, aren't we? And that if it's legal, it must be fine. But when it comes to emerging, emerging technologies, the law hasn't caught up. No, it's only legal because nobody has yet written the laws. Um, it's not legal because it's, you know, it's okay in lots of cases. Tanya, thank you so much for coming to talk to us today. I think what I've taken from today's talk is that we need to think carefully about what our children are doing. And that doesn't necessarily mean banning everything, but engaging with them to reach a mutually acceptable code of conduct that will protect them, but also that they won't resent. And all of this starts with a conversation. So Tanya, thank you for starting this conversation off. 
As you can tell, Tanya is not only passionate about our relationship with tech, but is also extremely knowledgeable. I can highly recommend her two books. Off is a reflection on how tuned in we are on a daily basis and how by making small changes, we can reclaim a part of our lives that we've lost. And Stop Staring at Screens is a manual for the whole family on how to achieve a digital detox. Both books are available on Amazon, but you can also get more information on Tanya's website, tanyagoodin.com. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Parenthood. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review us. It helps people find us and boosts us in those all important iTunes charts. If you want to find out what we're recording next or let us know what you'd like to talk about, please get in touch with me. I'm on Instagram. I'm at marina.fogel. But in the meantime, thanks for listening. And from Tanya and me, goodbye. Goodbye.